My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge of the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our first issue is available now and you can use code PODCAST to receive 15% off on checkout. You can also pre-order our second issue, which will be coming out this fall. Today, I am joined by none other than Betsy Hosp. She is the founder and author of the book Power of One Woman, a project highlighting women working for the earth with the intent of motivating women into action creating positive change for the earth. She spent over three years interviewing women across the United States who are working for the earth. Betsy served two years as the head of school for the Montessori School at Hampstead in Montgomery, Alabama. She was also the founding director of the Alabama Office of School Readiness, the founding director of the Alabama Partnership for Children, and a founding board member of Slow Food Crossroads. She is currently the project lead for Silencaga's Alliance for Family Enhancement Safe, and I always mess up the pronunciation of that town in Alabama, and I severely apologize. Environment and Regenerative Agriculture Development as the organization expands into Earth, East Alabama Rural Innovation and Training Hub. She's also the mother of three beautiful children. Now, Betsy has a much longer bio that I skimmed down, but the most interesting thing about how I met Betsy is it happened on a Hertz bus going from the LAX Hertz drop-off area to the terminal. And we had a great short conversation stuck in the traffic around there and decided to keep it going. And we're going to involve each other in a few upcoming projects, but she's a wonderful human being and our conversation spans many different areas of interest. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Betsy Hosp. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Betsy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to be here, Rob. Thank you again for taking the time. Um, I start off every single episode by asking the same question, which is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Having a really great day through contribution, joy, and integrity. Hmm. And what, what does that process look like to you in your head, like when you're thinking of that in the morning? So I get grounded and meditate and say prayers for my loved ones and my animals so that I'm in a place of stillness and that my brain is in a place of receiving and, you know, after meditation, your brain is really open. Yep. So I like to get in that place and then I journal, drink uh, healthy water and then I write my intentions for the day and just ask for you know guidance prayers and how can i live the life that comes from when i say integrity and joy it's how can i live with what i feel my passion is my skills my experience all that coming together and that a place of serving and a place of, of joy doing it with joy I love that. Um, so a couple things to break down there. So has this been something that you've been doing for a while or is this um, a newer trend or has it changed over the years? How does that look? So I started meditating. Um, my daughter is 20. I started meditating after she was born. Um, so we'll probably get into, I had a big shift after 
um, when she was sick as a young child. And that's how I got into the um, areas of environment. And uh, so when I started meditating, when she was six months old and she was really sick and I knew I needed something. So no, that I've been doing that for 19 years and mm-hmm. I've always, you know, I've always set intentions and uh, I just sort of incorporated, you know, a new morning routine just based off, um, you know, experiences through the years. Hmm. And so your journaling practice, um, do is it something you do throughout the day or you just save it for the morning or is it more about um, just your intentions or do you use it for also thoughts or ideas or planning or how, what does what journaling look like, look like to you? So I actually have two journals. I have a work journal and then I have a personal, you know, like inspiration journal. And so in the morning I write in my personal journal and then sometimes I'll take a piece of paper that's not in my journal so that thoughts that I just, I, I wouldn't want to see again, you know, like mm. things that are bothering me or, you know, um, I want to get those out in the morning before I start my day. So I'll sit with the journal and write what, what I'd like to see for the day, what I'm grateful for, you know, do some affirmations, um, and then process things that maybe I carried from, you know, weight from other people or other days or things I might be facing later in the day that I don't really want to face. So, um, I do different processes. Like sometimes I do Byron Katie's the work. Um, that's a process of just checking in your thoughts. And so I've, I've studied different types of journaling you know, gratitude, um, you know, letting go of things so that I can be as grounded and still, and it's not somebody else's agenda or personality that I'm feeling that I want to hear my own thoughts and what's coming clear for me. That's amazing. And then, and then meditation is the same for you. Like, do you use a mantra? Are you more about stillness? Like what is your ethos of meditation? I train in two different kinds of meditation, Kriya Yoga and Transcendental Meditation. And then, and, and I love both. And um, both of them, you know, it's all about your breath. And I just sort of got to my own place of stillness. And I think it's probably a little, you know, if there could be a combination of both, but also just getting to that place where I feel, you know, it's, it's about you know, brainwave states and being in that alpha theta state and having your hemispheres balanced and breathing. So I can take my myself into that state and then just ask for creativity and blessings to flow. I love that. Um, so just to kind of break into, and, and for the audience perspective, um, Betsy and I met on a Hertz bus at LAX, um, back in, was it early June, late May, sometime in that time frame? Early June. Early June, yeah. So it was just, a, it was it was an interesting circumstance, and you and I have, have spent more time connecting since, um, mostly around the ideas of um, the environment, environmental conference, uh, you know, uh, conservation, everything from reforestation, animal protection, innovation. Um, so to, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't know the story of, your daughter being sick when she was younger and that really kind of turning you on to this. So do you, are you okay sharing that story? Yes. Yes. So, um, I worked in education. I worked in early childhood education. I was the founding director for the state pre-K. And so, um, you know, I had worked, uh, in state government. So, uh, she was my second child born, uh, like I said, 20 years ago. And, um, 
she just started having at eight weeks old she was in the hospital and then had a lot of ear infections and just completely stayed on almost like always on antibiotics and mm. uh so up until she was six months she was she could not sleep she would cry out at night and so the only way i could get her oftentimes to sleep was me sitting upright and her laying on my chest so i could kind of slightly inclined and mm. i so i wasn't sleeping and i had a toddler i as i was on maternity you know maternity leave trying to um, adjust to some things and um, that's when I knew I, I was like, I, I need to do something like, um, you know, heard of meditation yoga. So I started doing both of those incorporated with my journaling. And so, um, you know, all the doctors kept going to was like, Oh, you know, this ear tube surgery or this, you know, antibiotic or this hospital visit will, you know, hopefully help her. And it didn't. And, um, though her crying stopped, she kept getting repeated infections Hmm. And she um, was on an antibiotic at least once a month. And so uh, when she was two years old, you know, I just kept saying something's not right. And so we had been to allergy special, specialist children's hospitals and, um, you know, I kept asking just like, why, you know, what is this? And they said, well, it's her immune system. And I said, why isn't her immune system responding? And so I, I started digging deeper and met two wellness doctors and, they start explaining to me that, you know, 70% of our immune system is in our gut. Yeah. And, um, and this, again, this was, you know, um, over 18 years ago yeah. that this occurred. So, you know, they, they were talking about probiotics, which was, you know, nobody was talking about then, you know, and, and again, you know, I am, I am in Alabama. So, um, it's, uh, and I mean that in the best respect to Alabama is just sometimes <laughs> I, I, sometimes we aren't known for our ideas coming here first, except for, you know, um, it, we, we have the civil rights. We have some really great things here, but I just mean as far as other things. And I, and again, I mean that in the best respects to here. Um, so anyways, I, um, you know, studying what they showed me about wellness and immune systems and probiotics. And, um, so I took her into uh, one of the doctors who was a pediatric neurologist and he explained and he, you know, about wellness and about what antibiotics. And he said, well, she's on what's called an antibiotic round. She basically has no immune system. Let's get, let's build back her immune system. She's two years old. This should be, you know, pretty fairly easy. So she said, you know, switch to organic foods and give her a probiotic and get her immune boosting supplement. So I did all that, and two weeks later, she just had a different facial expression, different disposition, and never needed, um, you know, the antibiotics again for many years later. Wow. And I just looked at her and was like, wow, she looks like, to me as a mother, a different child. And so it really, you know, hit home was, wow, if this is, if this did that, you know, our personal health, you know, what is it doing to planetary health? And so that's why, um, you know, I deep dove into you know, difference between organic food and what, you know, the so regular food or, you know, things we're eating and really what uh, the nutrition value of fresh foods, you know, um, uh, uh, frozen blueberries or canned peaches versus, you know, eating just um, fresh food. So I really started studying all of that, met a lot of people, and that's where it really opened the door to me to say, well, if she can turn that around, you know, and... And for me personally, also what I realized was I had been diagnosed with a lot of um, gut issues and had been in and out of doctors for years. 
and um, I started doing the same thing and started feeling so much better. It took me longer to get completely get my health back, but you know I, I was older, so um, you know preparing your gut takes longer for an older person. But for me, it was like looking at the planet and then saying, "Wow, you know I can incorporate my skills that I know in education and early childhood and put all this together and." just really started learning about chemicals in our food and chemicals in the air and the water and what a difference it makes to planetary health and human health because they're really one in the same. Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing. So my mom, who you've met now, um, one of her companies was focused on the microbiome. One of the companies I work with now strongly is all about microbiome-based diseases, which is most of them. Um, and I myself have dealt with a couple of microbiome programs problems over the years, and I've been, you know, an ardent user of probiotics um, for probably four or five years now, and it's really just completely changed my world and how I um, live and operate. So it, it doesn't surprise you when you know I I tell most people like if you're having some weird problems, like the first step is just making sure you're taking some probiotics and kind of treat your gut biome properly. Uh, you know, Definitely. it's pretty amazing what it does. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, so with that, has, has she had any recurring problems since, uh, or is it pretty much only was kind of sequestered to the first few years of her life? Just those first few years of life. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. and then, so do you, I'm guessing you still probably take probiotics now or have a diet that's kind of rich in foods that enable a strong, strong gut health. Like how, how is your approach now personally? So during that time I, um, completely switched all of our food over to organics. Mm-hmm. Then I started growing our own food um, and doing organic gardening with my children so that they could um, share in that. And uh, I, you know, support people that do that, you know, local farmers and uh, the organic foods because it does make a difference. And yes, so to answer your question, um, I do take quite a bit of supplements. I eat um, all organic plant-based, made that switch. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, definitely take probiotics every day. So what are the some of the supplements you take? Um, Cause I'm always curious to see what people take, what they're into, what they're not, what helps them. You know, some people have things they swear by that other people swear against, you know? So I'm always curious to like, cause it's such a personal journey, right? So I'm just really curious to see what yours is. Definitely is a personal journey. I would say, um, you know, wheatgrass, I could tell a difference when I started taking that. Mm. Maca powder um, improves my energy. Ashwagandha, I take it every day. Uh, definitely can tell a difference with that. Ginseng sometimes. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll alternate just based on how I'm feeling, you know. So it's not all the time I have a lot of different supplements. Um, but one interesting that I started taking is um, maca uh Chaga tea. This was Chaga, the mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I started drinking that tea every day, and my nails have so improved. Like they're long, and where they used to, you know, because I'm outside gardening a lot, they would break. And now I'm, I'm just amazed at I'm having to file them down once a week. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Do you use any kind of like, um, I, I guess you. So I take, a, I just realized that you're plant-based, so it kind of killed my question. Um, but I <laughs> take a lot of collagen, uh, mostly from marine and bovine. Um, I don't know if you can have plant collagen. I don't think you, you could have a synthetic collagen, but I don't think you could have, because it comes from, it's like, a, it is an animal product. Um, so so I'm, I'm definitely not going to refute or, because I don't know enough of the science, but I will say sure. that um, 
there is vegan collagen. You can mm, look at okay. different ones. Cool. Um, bamboo is rich in silica, and our collagen, you know, is uh, silica forms the um, collagen. So I do take bamboo. Cool. So you can look at vegan vegan uh, collagen products. I didn't I, like, I, sorry, I'm just like trying to think through in my head, this process. So like, you know, it's like in my mind, it's, it's like when people say it's like vegan milk, right. It's like, it's not really milk, right. Cause milk is one thing, right. right? right? It's, it's like a, it's like a milk replacement, right. Cause collagen right. Is, is, is derived from what joints and bones. And so I understand that. So is, is there, is beyond the environmental or personal health reasons for being plant-based, do you have any kind of like, um, I, I know you're a strong advocate of, of animals and animal safety and um, protecting animals. So I'm guessing your your reasons for being plant-based are probably based on all three of those things, right? That's correct. Do you want to kind of, I, I'm, I know I've heard some of your kind of modus operandi and your belief about like food and um growth. And I think based on what you've said so far and, um, you know, where I kind of want the conversation to go, do you, do you want to kind of talk to me about this, um, new program you've been working on? Um, I'll let you introduce it and explain what it is, but like in terms of really kind of helping people get back to like eating proper healthy foods, especially around you in a place where there, uh, isn't much. So we are working on regenerative agriculture and, uh, we are looking at a lot of different things with that. We're looking at, um, cause if, if you hear a lot of people, you know, well, let me step back, Rob, is that what I like to look at and I've found in talking to people in meetings and things is that we are what I call in a convergence of crisis. This. And so if you look at the education system right now and, um, you know, most people are concerned about something going on in our planet or uh, our country or our local communities. And so you can look at the obesity rates or diabetic rates or, you know, whatever, if you want to look at it. So for a crisis of mental health, anxiety, depression, physical health, um, you know, um, emotional well-being and then environmental education, et cetera. Um, it's, it's really a lot boils down to our food a lot at the center because, um, growing our own food, having access to clean, healthy food. Um, you know, a lot of people are making that's a national security issue, but it's also, you know, just having that access. I mean, from an educational standpoint for me, it's what, what it does to the brain, what it does to the body to, you know, to play in dirt, to garden, um, you know, secrete healthy neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, um, at young age, the developing brain, and especially like the older, um, you know, I cared for my dad until he passed away and really looking at things that keep the brain supple. So gardening definitely is something, um, it's, you know, out in nature and it's exercise and healthy. So if you, if you look at garden, gardening just alone, it's got a lot of health benefits, but Mm -hmm. then you look at the crises that we're in and step away and realize, wow, okay. So, um, the dyes in our food are causing a lot of anxiety, depression, ADD, you know, a lot of chemicals, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then the processed food is calling, causing, you know, liver shutdown, obesity, diabetic. And, you know, so um, psychiatrists, psychologists are stepping up about talking about the mental health when people start changing their diets. And so if we change to having that clean, healthy food, we are hitting all of those, you know, that gardening can be taught in education. There's gardening based, um, you know, edible schoolyards, things like that. So, um, you know, it calms the brain down. 
and uh, again, you're active outside. And so gardening for me, it just, it's all, it, it's an answer and to a lot of things. And it provides that, it provides the local community with food. And so we're looking at it from a, a lot of different ways because people will often say, well, you know, the cost of it and the prohibiting of getting soil and getting raised beds, et cetera, et cetera. So we're studying how to do it, no cost, low cost and replicability. And uh, we're doing it um, just, you know, in the Appalachians here in Alabama. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. We've got farmers coming together and a lot of leaders coming together and um, supporting, you know, an after school program with high school students where they can learn and earn at the same time and uh, building a center where we can really research this more and bring a lot of um, study, you know, as teams and bring in experts and, um, you know, energy and how all of this, you know, comes together. And so I like to say is if we look at it from that perspective, we can be in a convergence of healing. Hmm. So I, I guess now what, besides cost, which is obviously the most obvious hurdle that I think most people will use almost as like a trope or as an excuse to not get into it. Because I, I believe, as I'm sure you do as well, that like it's a lot of upfront costs, but I think long-term it's cheaper than buying, you know, the organic uh, produce. Um, what, what do you think that, you know, if, if someone's super interested in this and maybe doesn't have a program like the one you're creating nearby, you know, what do you recommend they do to, to start just, just to get started? So if we're talking with no resources and limited incomes, I mean, there's so many, you know, Pinterest and Etsy and people and YouTube and homesteading and people that really are supporting us. Um, one of the farmers I work with, he does everything just by studying on the internet, just by creating his own um, soil, you know, compost from leaves in his yard. And he teaches mm. this. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, there's a lot of things. Um, actually, his, his, the well-watered garden, um, I can send you his uh, website because he's got a lot of instructions on this. And sure. um, you can create, you know, use, use the mulch, use the leaves, use the grass, use the hay. Um, and create your own, own soil. And, you know, he's a big advocate for that. So we're, again, we're trying to not do garden in a box, but looking at ways that people can feel whether it's a, um, you know, planter box or a patio garden or rooftop garden or, you know, your backyard, but definitely to feel supported that, you know, you can grow your own food. Another thing that I love are these advocates and these visionaries that, um, you know, there's a group called the Endless Orchards and people that are really talking about, you know, everybody can grow a fruit tree or a nut tree. Like if you have a yard to do that, you know, or you can ask your city, you know, where you live to put nut trees or fruit trees in your, in your town in the local parks and things so that, you know, we, the children can grow up again, picking apples off the trees and, mm. uh, you know, peaches and things like that. So there's a lot, not a lot of people with just, brilliant, amazing ideas supporting that no cost, low cost, um, free, healthy, clean food for everybody. Yeah. And I, and I think that the biggest misconception that I want to help dissuade, especially in low income communities is that the healthy food is expensive because it's not popular, right? Like if we were producing this food at scale, it would be cheaper than the junk food and the processed food that people are already buying. It's just because it's not the easy and popular option, right? 
And so, you know, I think there's a, there's a certain like economical, psychological, societal perspective that we have to start attacking of like, um, you know, convincing people that in the long term, they're going to end up paying less in not only food costs, but less in pain and potential suffering and potential disease and healthcare costs, you know, right? It, it's, it, it escalates quickly, as I'm sure you've seen um, down south. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I see a huge difference. I think that I'm very triggered by the pesticides and, um, you know, what goes into the food. So I, I research my food, read all the ingredients and do not use any chemicals. And so, and that takes, um, it does take work, but going back to what you said about having the organic foods, I have a close friend of mine who's a nurse practitioner and she, uh, really focused with her planet, uh, uh, patients, you know, they were coming in, her average patient is like 20 years old, over 300 pounds. And so she, um, really started studying alternatives and really recommended them to go to, you know, fruits and vegetables and eating more plant-based. And she has seen tremendous turn turnarounds. So, you know, it really, you, you know, people say that you got to meet yourself where you are kind of thing. And if you are already you know, eating lots of fruits and vegetables and, I affirm what you're saying. Yes, the more that we buy organic food, the more we speak up, then everything will be, you know, we move towards that. Mm -hmm. And the more we speak up about these chemicals, you know, that are in us. And part of that is understanding what these chemicals are doing to us. So that, you know, that's one of the things is to understand because the chemicals are affecting us um, personally, um, you know, brain development, you know, pregnancies, um, mood swings, everything. They're in the air, they're in the water. And, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of documentaries out there about that and how they, but they also, they're going into the rivers, they're going into the streams and people will say, oh, they dissipate in the air. But, you know, a lot of these are water soluble. So they're going in the rivers, you know, the streams are going down into the oceans. They're sort of affecting, you know, the bigger mammals. And, you know, it's, it, you know, and I, and I'll say to people is, when you spray those chemicals, please think of the person who's spraying them and think of the animal that walks on right after it. And then think of the child who wants to go play in it. Yeah. And most people don't sadly, um, with like, I mean, look at, look at Roundup, right? Like, like the amount of people that have now have cancer because of this weed killer, um, is, is pretty absurd. Right. Um, it was something that was so prolific. I mean, even 10 years ago, um, let alone, I mean, nowadays pretty much everyone knows it's terrible for you, but I think there are many other things in our society now that we use freely that are just terrible. I mean, I've been on a soapbox of speaking out against diet beverages and aspartame for, uh, close to a decade. And now it's, it's fascinating. The FDA is finally now about to, you know, basically say, Hey, this is a carcinogen and we need to remove from our foods. And, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of upset people because they all they all they and all they see, sadly, is, uh, you know, you're changing their favorite diet soda. Um, but, you know, it's it's I think it's for the better of everyone at the end of the day. Definitely, definitely. And I think um, you're heading into something really important that uh, about the planet is, you know, when I was doing the power of one woman and researching and meeting the women, um, you know, my takeaways, one is that everything could be aligned towards the planet. And there is something that everybody can do and find that passion, find that thing. Um, you know, you know uh, about the diet drinks and the aspartame. So it's really something that um, most of us do have something that we would love to speak about and learn more or share with others. And, 
you know, there, there's a way to, to change that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, with the internet being so av- readily available now, um, and, you know, at least in the U S um, you know, no one really has an excuse anymore to not research what they're eating. Um, you know, I, I always love when people will say like, oh, I don't, I, how could you take the time to make sure eating healthy things and doing things right? And then they'll spend, you know, three hours on their phone looking at useless things a day. And it's like, you know, that time would be better much served, uh, you know, look, looking within and looking out, right? Um, you, you brought up, again, something really um, important, I think, is that, you know, again, with the power of one woman, I interviewed, um, over 70 women, did almost hundred interviews, you know, male and female and people mostly in the United States. But I, I did a lot of my takeaways. And what I learned is that for me, or what I came away with was and the internal changes, you know, the internal, um, intrinsic human, um, aspects. And those for me were, I thought, you know, cause I said, what would be the most important things, you know, to turn this planet, you know, to turn things around. And every time I assimilated all the stories and compared what people were saying, it came down to, you know, courage, living with congruency and, uh, you know, taking that risk, taking those chances and self-respect and self-reliance. And for me, um, you know, if you're asking what, what does that look like? Or what does that mean? Is that for you sitting there knowing that there's something to change and mm. you could be spending that time looking that up versus looking up something for social media, your friend may say, look, I had a hard day at work and this is my break. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's looking at it. Um, what I say is the courage and support that everything that we do, you know, cause the environment is everything around us. It's, it's yeah. the air we breathe. It's the clothes we wear. It's the food that's in our body. It's, you know, our organs, it's, the environment is actually literally the environment around us. And so if we step back and just say, you know, we're impacted all day, every day by things. And so everybody works in some area that could be more aligned with the planet. And mm-hmm. so if, if everybody did something that, you know, whether it was just looking up a more environmentally friendly product, because there's going to be a solution to all of this. And if there's not, then it's going to be people like you who are innovative and engineer and bright and creative to create those solutions. And, you know, one of the other takeaways was, you know, which is more extrinsic, but is an action step is make that call. Like, you know, I was told most companies, it doesn't take that many calls to change what they're doing. And, you know, they'll listen to people speaking up, but, you know, so those are action steps. But again, going back to the intrinsics is I was looking at, why, when we know right now today, like you said, there's no excuse. I mean, you were saying there's no excuses. Everybody knows. And then I started this, you know, deep diving 18 years ago. And I was like, why are not, why are people not acting? Why are people, you know, what is keeping us from acting? What is mm-hmm. keeping us from stepping up? And a lot of it is courage. Yeah, a lot of it, is, absolutely. you know, is um, embedded conditioning that we're in, you know, family pressures or social pressures and hoping that somebody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that hoping that somebody else is doing it is huge. I mean, so uh, I think complacency is one of the biggest diseases in modern society that no one talks about. Um, one of my favorite kind of juxtapositions and paradoxes is if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And I think that can be said a lot about society. If you choose just not to look up the information or not to spend time working on yourself, you know, people think that they're, you know, just, just choosing 
they're not choosing at all, but in fact, you're making like almost a, a more explicit choice, right? Like, um, you know, we're, we're all just trying to build and grow and, and become the best versions of ourselves. And, and I think that we need to start looking at it from a perspective of, um, do you know who, do you know who the, the, the Nobel prize, uh, winning mathematician John Nash was the movie, a beautiful mind that came out as one with Russell Crowe is about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so his theory of, of governing dynamics was this idea that kind of turned, you know, 200 years of economic theory on his head where like the best, the, the best, the best idea for any group is for every, so, you know, so sorry, let me, let me back up. Adam Smith, you know, the father of modern economics, quote unquote, um, you know, said that every man for himself, right? Competition is the best thing for good. And John Nash came along and said, the best thing is every man for is, is, is every person did the best thing for themselves and the group, right? Because yeah. the belief is that if you're constantly working on something that's going to help yourself and your family and your community, it's also going to help everyone else. And if you always keep in mind the kind of unit, right, whether that's your family or your community or your state or your country or the planet as a whole, um, you know, we're all in the ship together flying through the universe. Right. Um, but, uh, I think things be a lot better, but I think people just like to, it's easy to, like I said, to stay complacent, to put your head down and just kind of be numb. Right. Yeah. I, I think again, um, you know, the women that I interviewed, what, there were many times that I, I got off these interviews and felt fear of myself. And I would always check my emotions after I did these interviews. And a lot of women, you know, they they changed you know, huge communities. They changed, you know, they were threatened. I mean, one of the women I talked to was shot at and, you know, and was really asked myself is, you know, how, I mean, is it really that hard to speak up or is it um, to change the paradigm in that local community or, you know, the paradigm within yourself? And, um and so I would check in with myself and think, why, why do I feel fear or whatever? And mm. it was because, you know, some of the women would say, well, everybody in my town thought I was crazy, you know, mm. until I wasn't. And, you know, I looked at it from my point of view is, do I have that much courage to speak about something I believe in when everybody around me would be, you know, think I'm crazy? You know, do I, mm. do I have that much wherewithal um, in myself? And so I think that is something, you know, listening to stories that inspire us, listening to people that inspire us, you know, getting a mentor, just seeing how other people did it, um, you know, gets us out of that. Because in that place of, you know, whether we're watching streaming, binging or, you know, phones or just getting caught up in the latest story or, you know, it's easy to just step out for a minute and go, you know, what could I be doing or, you know, is this the best use of my skills and my life yeah. and, you know, time, and so, energy, assets, exactly time and energy yeah. and you sort of just, you know, wake yourself back up for a minute and think, is there a better use, you know, for me? And I think that's where I was going. It was leaning with self-respect is some of these, some of these things, um, you know, you obviously are an action taker and you've created businesses and step up and push yourself and people that, there, everybody's got that within them to certain mm-hmm. degrees and certain levels. It's, um, it's, am I going to be, you know, rejected by my community or mm. another stupid or would my friends no longer talk to me or, you know, the other is, I know I'd learn it. I'd have to change my life and I'm not sure I need to do that. 
Um, and so those are all things that I think if we step back is, and self-respect is that it may look hard, but if you take one step and then another step and another step, and for me, the self-respect that comes with taking those actions and living in a way that you know you should be living, because if a part of you on any emotional, mental level walks in that grocery store or sees, you know, thinks it's wrong about the animals or, you know, whether it's chlorine in the air or whatever you're calling air, you know, um, or, you know, land, water, air, food, animals, uh, education, and you're not acting on it, there's a party, it's like it hurts inside. And so if we yeah. take those action steps, it's, it, we feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So because you've mentioned a few times and I do want you to talk about it, um, at, at a point, um, do you want to explain, like, kind of give someone the elevator pitch on the power of one woman? Yes. So for me, it was um, a point where I was sitting and reading an Oprah magazine, and she was entering, uh, interviewing Daniel Goleman for an Earth Day mm-hmm. issue. And she's, you know, Daniel Goleman said to, he's the author of Emotional Intelligence and Ecological Intelligence. And mm-hmm. he said, it's not going to be you know, the big names that we know that are going to leave this, lead this environmental effort um, is going to be the eco-moms. And so I just had, I, st- I started pacing and saying, well, that's me. And then what, what do I have that I could contribute? Because I, I can't now do nothing. And even though I was doing, you know, growing organic food and change my lifestyle, I felt a calling to do something with others, like you're saying, with the group. And mm. I, um, asked myself and said, what is the power of one woman? And, you know, so then I was like, well, that's me. So what is the power of one woman? So I started doing interviews and met beautiful, everyone would introduce me to another woman. And I did interviews and, um, you know, realized that people are doing these amazing things all over the planet. You know, I'm, I'm wearing, um, a sustainable dress that, um, I met while I was out in LA and the woman who just goes to the local um, farmer's markets and she travels to India and the dress is made out of sustainable material. And mm. then they uh, hand, you know, do hand art. And so she's supporting that community and going back and forth in India to L.A. And, it, you know, those people are everywhere. I've met so many people like that. And if you start looking for those people, you will find them. And, you know, who support um, local education projects or local people. And, you know, there's, for instance, like, you know, organic lavender. There's a lot of social responsibility, social justice with a lot of the products. And I always said, look for the story. And so for the women that I interviewed, um, you know, again, I just met beautiful women and um, wrote their stories. Um, You can go to Facebook, Power of One Woman. Um, There's a lot of those stories on there. I encourage women to share your stories. Because I know we all have that power of, you know, one man, one voice, one child, you know, one woman um, to, to share and, you know, share our stories. Yes. Um, so you sent me a very long draft. So is this, is this planning on becoming a book? Like, do you want to host it as a site? Like, what, do you, what is your intention yes, for all I would this? Love, I would love to incorporate that into a book and, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to see some other things come, come with it. Would it, would it, you want to kind of dive into what your, you know, kind of total vision is for that maybe? Yeah, I think, um, you know, whether it's workshops or college courses or, you know, retreats or, you know, Zoom calls or things like that, um, 
you know, that if we do look at those intrinsic internal values, um, you know, like Paul Hawkins, you know, love Paul Hawkins, environmentalist talks about the 100 things that we can do for the planet, the drawdown and a lot of beautiful things. And, you know, compost toilets is one of those. And, you know, I, I look around and I think, wow, you know, that's not being talked about where, where I live, but you know, some of these other things. And I go back again to that internal intrinsic, you know, could we start forming support groups or things like that, or, you know, eco solution groups or things like that, you know, um, you know, people, places that the eco warriors, cause you guys, I mean, you know, everybody your age, a little bit older and younger is, I mean, most that I talk to, especially, you know, my, my older son, I mean, is very concerned about the planet, wants to see solutions, you know, wants to step up. And I know that the answer is there. It's, you know, creative. It's getting to that place where mm-hmm. you feel heard, you feel supported. Someone's listening to you. Can you share that idea? Agreed. Yeah, the, I, I, I get so excited talking to, you know, because I'm, I'm 29, so I'm a, I'm a hardcore millennial. But um, so your children's iteration, the Gen Z, um, I, I, I get excited because a lot of people I talk to, they're not only more impassionate about other people on the planet, but they seem to care more, right? Um, and I don't mean to sound crass, but like as the boomers are slowly dying off, um, you know, we're, we're seeing this massive shift and genuine interest in like saving the planet and protecting everyone in the community. Right. Um, cause that used to not be the overall trend and desire. No. Right? And I think, I mean, you know, as, as my son says, is that, you know, he's like, you guys left us with this horrible yeah. problem. And he's like, your generation can say, Oh, we're this horrible problem. We need to do something. And you s- still aren't mostly acting on it, but he said, our generation, we can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't, we can't wait. Right. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, half millennials are going to split in half, right? Like I'm on the younger end of the millennial uh, group. And I think, you know, where I stand and everyone listening based on that, they've heard me talk before and is exactly where I stand on, on this kind of topic. But yeah, I, d- I just think that, you know, we as a civilization owe it to our future generations, to everyone on the planet. And, and look, like you and I are talking on, you know, uh, advanced devices uh, across the country, um, we have running water, we have access to food, we overall pretty much have unlimited freedom when it comes to what we say, what we want to publish out there. You know, so we're in the upper, 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 upper echelon of like the world in terms of privilege. Um, but you know, so, so my, my big thing is, is just making sure that, you know, I am given the power and the ability to do some of these things. So I feel like it falls on me to do them. Like the many people I see you with great, immense privilege that choose to do nothing with it. Um, it, it really bothers me or to waste it away doing something very personally driven. Yeah. And I think that again, you know, like you said, the, that individual in the group, I mean, for me personally, I couldn't sleep well at night if I'm not acting, but it's just, um, you know, when my Angela says, if you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. It, I knew better. And I, for me, I had to do better. So for me, it was like, I checked in myself and said, I would love to strive to live the most congruent life I can, um, in nature, around nature, supporting nature and children. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and part of that, what, what I love about, you know, um, Ken Robinson, the author of the element is, you know, the element is where your aptitude and skills and passion meet. And, you know, if, if everybody is finding that skill, where you love and you're passionate and where you're good at, 
then you can align that with the planet. So whether it's, you know, becoming a chef, you know, you can look at medicinal herbs or, you know, organic foods or whether you want to be a fashion designer and look at organic clothing and the ways, because I've heard, you know, fast fashion, um, heard a lot of stories about that. People waking up and realizing, you know, we've got to change. And so, you know, there's every, everything, whether it's you want to design furniture, you know, sustainable wood. So everything that we're interested in, passionate about and have skills in, there is an alignment with the planet. And that's what I think sometimes this eco-apathy or that, you know, sluggish feeling that we're getting like, oh, it sounds so awful what's going on is how do I make a difference? You know, I'm not, I'm not Greta Thunberg or I'm not going to go speak up at Parliament. But everybody's got that, you know, we all have something that's calling us and mm-hmm. we can all do it. And and there's people out there, you know, like you, who can guide people to how to do it sustainably. Yes. Um, you know, like I think of myself, I eventually I would like to be more able to empower people uh, than I do now. Um, I think the biggest limitation now is just, you know, I'm also taking care of my own situation and problems and making sure I'm financially able to, to pass that on. Right. Um, and I think that with time that is kind of going to become my main goal is just elevating people where I was and, where I want to be, if that makes sense, you know? Um, cause I, I just, I just think that like, I don't know, I, I go back to the same point and I think bringing up Greta is a great example because, you know, here is someone that really is, you know, on paper, there is nothing really spectacularly different. They didn't come from wealth. They didn't come from something special. They were just someone who, believed in something deeply and spoke their mind. And that resonated with an entire swaths of generations of people that back her and her beliefs, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just, I just think, I just think that we're living in a time where one person with one smartphone can, can impact the world. And that's, that's pretty incredible, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone envisioned that, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And so, you know, when, when I meet people saying like, oh, but what difference can I do? It's like, oh, there's so much every single one of us can do. Right. And so there's so much that every one of us can do. And, and I think that we underestimate the taking, you know, a small step or a simple solution or making that change. Because, you know, when you were talking, there's an author that I interviewed, Lynn Cherry, she's um, a well-known renowned artist and illustrator. Uh, for children's books, and she's all environmental books, but she got interested in interviewing children, so she interviewed um, Children's Voices for the Planet, and she tells these amazing stories about what children, you know, just young children walking in their backyard and saying, hey, you know, why don't we have um, clean energy, and going to speak to their town council and changing the entire town to clean energy, and, you know, uh, so the children are, I mean, you know, planting trees and you know, orchards and things, the children, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, and so, you know, d- don't underestimate, you know, the power of your change and, you know, um, changing a little bit, but still going in the power that one person has is that I interviewed um, the person for the Center for Energy Justice and I asked him what the most thing that he was concerned about for this country and environment. And he said it was the chlorine in the air. And because it lands in our grass, it's, it's in, you know, and, um, so he said, if we could all wake up and realize that buying, you know, unbleached chlorine free paper products, Mm -hmm. whether paper towels, napkins, um, women's products, you know, things like that, then it, um, 
you know, that would get it out of the air. But, you know, he, you know, those are things that they're endocrine dis- disruptors in our water and our air mm-hmm. and, our, yeah. and our food. And they're affecting all of us. And we can make those changes. And just taking the time, you know, to if, if someone, anyone, one person listens to this and, get, and decides to study something, you know, whether it's the difference that children have made or, you know, chlorine or paper products or something and a solution, um, it'll make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's one of those things that like every little thing can help, you know, um, and sometimes there is an air of convenience versus cost. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, um, you, you know, we need to always strive forward to do the best we can in every single juncture to ensure we're kind of shepherding and protecting this future purview for, you know, our lower generations, right? Definitely. Not to make it sound too grandiose. Um, so I, I guess, you know, what is, what is next for you? So you, you want to, you know, get what you've been working on out there, um, which I think is is something that it's, it's absolutely needs to happen. Um, you know, you are working with a group of individuals trying to kind of, you know, create ways for other individuals to live healthier lives. But like what, what else? I feel like, I feel like you're someone like me that has a couple things going on at once. So like what else is, um, what else is, what else is kind of cooking around? Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I would love to work with power people, you know, and power ego warriors to, um, I'd love to see the power of woman published and, you know, see it, um, whether it's Big mountain college, again, what is the right place for a college university classes, women's studies, um, you know, children, um, you know, things that we can come together, uh, whether it's, you know, um, just, I would love, love, uh, to see the eco warriors, a place that people could send their ideas and, you know, mentor coaches, but share those among each other. And I think we would hear some amazing ideas. So that's something mm-hmm. that's, you know, going around in my head is what is be a good place for people, you know, again, those millennials and Gen Z's are, you know, people in, or older, you know, I, I guarantee so many people have ideas scratched out on paper and go, you know, we could do this. And but let's get that out there because even like you said, an, an idea, like, you know, once you talk about an idea and then other people, um, you know, help you with it, it, it can make, it, we can make so many changes. And mm. I, I think that's something that really interests me, but, um, definitely I think, um, you know, for, I'm just speaking for my area here that I'm working with in Alabama, um, in the black belt, you know, where it was, uh, plantations, uh, farming and, um, we had the overuse, the monocropping, and it used to be, it's, it's known as the black belt because it was such rich, fertile soil and hmm. it's, it's not that right now. And so to hear about, you know, the obesity levels, the health thing, you know, people not having access to is it's, I would love to, for the perception of whether school gardens, home gardens, for people to say, yes, we can do that and not, oh, that's so hard, you know? And so that's another thing I'm really reaching out to people who have found the um, simple ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the simple way of doing it is, is the important part, right? It's like, if you can create a, sim- uh, a, a, uh, a solution that is simple, 
and that people can easily codify and reuse, then it's going to be more likely to be used, right? Like lower that friction, that initial level of friction that like most people have when dealing with something. Like if you can reduce friction at any point in time to help solve a problem, then you're more likely for, you know, someone to, um, you know, adhere to that problem set. That's why like, you know, when I work with a lot of startups and talking about product market fit and onboarding customers, it's like the, the least amount of friction you can have to someone being able to use your product um, is everything. And I think that's why like, you know, Apple's a great example of a company that like, you know, reduces friction at every single point in time with their products, right? Um, and I think that people need to start taking that approach to solving other problems as well. And I think they'll be much happier um, doing so. Definitely. I definitely, I think, you know, I, again, I will say is any point that, you know, the listeners at any point that you're seeing yourself or your loved ones hitting that point of resistance is just talking through where's the resistance point, you know, is this something I would love to do, um, to learn more about what's happening to the dolphins or manatees, et cetera. Um, or, you know, to, to learn more about what chemicals in our food or, um, how to grow, you know, something regeneratively. It's, you know, just taking that step, reducing the resistance, um, finding someone that supports you. That's huge. That's critical. And, um, you know, someone that you can talk freely with. Um, and, uh, we all, we all need someone that we can bounce ideas off of each other without being filtered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's hugely important. I think you just knocked, you know, nailed it on the head. Right. It's like having, having a group of people that you can use to have these conversations that we're having to be able to, you know, expand and grow ideas. I mean, that's, that's everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that doesn't happen enough, you know, like critical thought, critical thinking, right. Yes. Which used to be yes. something that, you know, was taught heavily in schools, universities mm-hmm. is almost become like a zeitgeist in some sort of a way. Right. Um, people are straying away from it because they just don't think it's, you know, um, useful. I don't know. Um, I, it blows my mind, but. Well, and going back to critical thinking, um, you know, I did study uh, with the social emotional intelligence, social, social and emotional learning. There's a group that studies that. And, you know, my entree there was, again, uh, author Daniel Goleman. But it led to, because we were working in prevention of child abuse, and I had a psychologist that came, and he said, um, he did a lot of research, and he said, you know, if if you were able to have critical thinking in that child, and they were to have an awareness of that social-emotional um, learning and awareness within, you you know, your your own indicators are on, your own barometers are on, and they'll help them in so many situations. And so if you look at that, you know, it goes down to critical thinking. And if, if you look at the people who supported critical, you know, Maria Montessori, um, Piaget, I mean, so many people that came before us, it's because it's, um, when you get down to it, it's what is critical thinking? It's feeling safe. It's being able to walk through the ideas. It's having both of your hemispheres firing. And, you know, it's like I heard someone say is, uh, a, you know, MD on a podcast said, if the person is totally geared in that one part of the brain, you know, focused on that multiple choice test and memorization, and everything, mm-hmm. that's great, but it's shutting down that creative part of them. Mm. And so we need both. We need, you know, we need that creative, we need that critical thinking. And so, um, you know, it, it, again, Ken Robinson, other people like that, um, 
the educational education you know supporters there's a lot of people recognizing again the critical thinking how important it is and it is you know like i mean for environmental solutions or solutions for planet we need to feel safe we need to feel people that support us um, we can we can talk about these ideas. Um, you know, some of the things why people shut down to talk about the planet is because it gets heavy and dark so quick. You know, and people, you know, it's like I don't want to hear about polar bears dying or, you know, things or um, the fires or the weather. And it it's important conversations, but for young children, you know, whether it's the weather patterns or you know things like that, it's how do we frame it that we can understand it without getting into that overwhelm and shutdown and that's a really important place and that goes again with the critical thinking but it's also a lot of emotional intelligence and having that that group of support so you know if we get outraged and angry and to a point where we're non-effective or ineffective we're in a loop right and mm -hmm. then we're commiserating we're you know angry and it's out there again it's somebody else's thing but if we can stay in that calm place and say, I mean, openly say to each other how you voice some of your things, like, you know, I'm frustrated or I'm angry and this is not okay. And I, I need those places to be able to voice that, to think through it, then the ideas and the creative solutions will come. Totally. And like, I think that, you know, a big part of this younger generation and they really get this and I love that is like the idea of that, um, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Right? Yes. Which is something that I think the younger generation champions and loves and something that like, you know, some of my grand, my grandma, you know, is 81 uh, or turning 81 soon. Um, like her, their generation that's, you know, pretend like everything's hunky dory and internally they're just on fire. Right. Um, and it's really sad, honestly. Um, I think there are a lot yeah, of people I mean, that live that really had no chance to understand who they really are or live the life they want to live because of that ideology. And I'm in, I'm in that in-between generation, you know, so mm -hmm. um, watching the older, you know, that um, societal of, you know, putting on that face and, you know, as I heard someone say, it's kind of like putting on cosmetics, you know, you're, you're trying to hide what's actually going on. But it's um, in the younger generation really opening up and talking about it. But it's also, you know, for me, because I do have younger children and I am you know, like I said, I am going to bed at night and saying, what can I do? And waking up in the morning saying that it's, um, how do I stay real with myself mm -hmm. and grounded? So it's not, the emotions aren't taking us over. And, you know, we can, again, like stay grounded, stay open, stay real and have these important conversations and allow the children to feel safe in having mm -hmm. these conversations and, and so when, when you're talking about it, it's okay not to be okay. It's also okay to be okay. It's also okay to, to have these emotions and know that you're okay at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I, it, having the safe space is everything, right? Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, having overwhelm and anger and frustration doesn't, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't, you may feel I'm not okay but what I'm saying is you are okay because you're willing and able to be, to be on, yeah. Yeah. We need to be acting on these things and we mm -hmm. need to recognize if we try to act like we're not angry and frustrated about what's going on in our food or what's in our air or what's in our water, we're lying to ourselves, you yeah. know, and we're just going to combust one day. Yeah. We will combust because 
if, if we are okay with what's in our water system food, we haven't done the research. We haven't taken that time. And that's not, you know, that for me, way I, you know, one of my, the farmers that I work with, I love, he, he'll always say, let's step back with joy and humility then honor where everybody's at. And that is like, I, you know, we'll say, let's check in with ourselves. And so, you know, let's, let's honor where each other's at because somebody, this may be the first time that someone's hearing this. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, some of the people closest to me, um, I'm not going to name them or even kind of place them because it'll, I don't want to, you know, share personal details, but, um, some of my closest friends grew up with pretty toxic childhoods. Um, and even though like on the outside, it may look you know, like everything's fine and everyone's great and everyone's having a good time. Like there was just so much negativity and toxicity and abuse from an emotional and, and spatial perspective of just like people not feeling like they're welcome or belong, um, or able to kind of share an idea or, you know, you know, as I, I think at a young age, like I've, I've seen parents that at a very young age will hold something against their children or make them almost more responsible for something that wasn't their fault. And that's just something you can't do. You know, um, it's that's just the shaming, shaming, yeah. blaming. Yeah. We're getting back to the, the old, the old days of shame, shame. You know, we don't, that doesn't help anyone. Right. Like, I don't think anyone is empowered or lifted by that. Right. It's like, imagine, imagine how better the world would be if like we all focused and spent our time actually, you know, getting, putting that time into the kids and ourselves and our communities. And I think that's what we're really circling around, right? That's the, that's the whole thing we're, we've been talking about the entire time. Yeah, it, it really is. It's those in, in intrinsic human aspects, right? And that, you know, I just listened to um, Dr. Zach Bush, um, who, you know, he's a medical doctor and he was talking about how concerned he is about the planet. And he said that he woke up to, um, you know, the big difference between empathy and compassion. Mm. And he said that sometimes, you know, he was around sick people all the time. And he said, you know, if you're using the tuning fork of empathy with a really, really sick person, you're not helping yourself or that person. But if you can step back and have compassion, you, you know, your tuning fork is going up. You can witness and that, you know, you're not taking on somebody else's, but you're supporting them. And, you know, that um, what he was saying was when we look at the planet and it, the compassion, he said, you can't have compassion for yourself or someone else if you're in fear, guilt, shame, and blame. Mm, and he said that. that's the old game of fear, shame, blame, and guilt. And it, it's easy to project and put the ideas off on somebody else, the problems, the problems and the solutions and everything, you know, on somebody else. But it, it is hard to recognize sometimes to own mm, that pain absolutely. feeling from that. And so if we can, you know, all own, I mean, that there's some shame, guilt, and pain, you know, in all of us and get real with it. You know, we can, we can help each other through compassion. I love that. Um, who, who said that? I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I link it below so everyone can, can access that. And find Zach Bush. It. Zach Bush. Okay. Bush spelled like B-U-S-H or anything yes. special. Okay, cool. I'll, so as, as, as if anyone, this is the first one listening to, to the Holocene podcast, um, everything mentioned that, might be referenceable like a book or a person or a thing um, that isn't common knowledge. Um, I link it below so people can kind of quickly and easily find it. So don't worry about kind of pausing and rewinding the podcast and looking for something. It's, it's all there. I promise. So. Um, so on that note, um, 
how do you think we as a society could be kind of teaching these kids at a younger age? Do you think it should be involved with, um, you know, in the private education system, in the public education system? Do you think it should be a community level education? Do you think it should be taught in schools? Do you think it should be on the parents or families? Like, how do you think is the best way to kind of impart this importance of not only, you know, treating other well, uh, others well, treating the planet well, like uh, keeping in mind the community, the environment, um, eating healthy, living healthy lives, exercising, like where do you think that falls? All of it, everything you name. I mean, because, you know, I, I took a few years and homeschooled my children with organic gardening. And if you had asked me before I did it, I would have told you there's no way I, I, I could never homeschool. And I loved it. It's one of the best things I ever mm. did. I met so many people who, you know, that do that homeschooling. I've worked in, you know, public education. I've worked in private education, um, you know, preschool, K through 12, um, all of it. And, you know, nonprofits and you know, there's home visits. So uh, there's an opportunity for that with, with everything. One of the things that I love what Maria Masori, Mateka's ways is she always said, you know, is remember, you know, she did not call her teachers, um, teachers, she called them guides. Mm. And, you know, there's a, there's a great quote, you know, that, um, we're a, a lamp to be lit, not a vessel to be filled. I love and that. it, yeah, and it's always is what ignites, you know, it's going back to the element, your passion, what it, what ignites us. And so every child has that. Every child has a skill. Every child has a strong talent. And, you know, um, a lot of adults are going into jobs or careers that just, you know, like you said, is economically, um, you know, I know I can do that skill. It's not my passion with my skill, but I know I can do it. So it's where does your passion with your aptitude meet your skill? And, you know, so if young children are doing that, um, you know, like I said, personal health is tied to planetary health. And so, um, on all levels, everything. So, you know, that is something, compassion, um, you know, support, self-reliance, critical thinking, creativity, um, you know, it, it can be everywhere, everywhere. Hmm. Sorry. I'm just like, I'm just like thinking deeply about this. And I, I just think that, you know, I've, I think during COVID, I had a lot of friends who, you know, took the opportunity and said, you know, Zoom school is dumb. I'm just going to teach my kids myself. And a lot of them realized very quickly, they're like, hey, this is actually a lot of fun, you know? And, yeah. and, and I think that, yeah. you know, I, I am I am someone who, you know, grew up misdiagnosed by the system. You know, I had ADHD, I had OCD, I'm on the Asperger's spectrum. Um, and like, I was put in special kids classes because they thought I was going to be dumb and, uh, you know, teachers didn't like me because I didn't pay attention. And so like, you know, I, I think I'm someone who would have, you know, if you just let me sit outside and read the book, um, if you had let me focus on going deep into the subject matters that I thought were important, which is mostly like science and adventure and history, then I think it would have been a lot more enjoyable experience. And it would have been probably a more useful time for me. Cause I, I just, I just don't, I just do not believe, I think that every single human being should learn how to read and write proficiently in their native tongue. Um, I believe that they should have a basic understanding of their country's history and world history. Um, and just, they understand conflict and loss and, you know, everything attached to that. And then, you know, beyond that, um, understanding like basic math, basic, I think, but I think even with basic math, like forget teaching basic math, t teach basic economics, teach basic finance, teach the, the importance and power of compounding interest. And if, if you can get to that level, you have to understand basic math anyways, right? Um, and I think from that, you know, teaching basic computer skills, 
um, basic ideas of society, but everything else um, I think should be optional. And I think that if someone wants to focus on English or wants to focus on advanced physics or wants to focus on chemistry or wants to focus on these other things, they should just be allowed to go um, or it wants to learn all of it, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's everyone's choice. But the idea that I think every kid for 12, 13 years is learning mixtures of the same content at different levels because they need to have a sampling of everything to be able to understand what they like or dislike and be judged against that, that can set them up in tracks that fulfill or, you know, create pathways for the rest of their lives is kind of insane. Right. Um, and that's what I worry about. So you're worrying about what, what would you say, um, some simple solutions for it? Simple solutions. Um, I mean, I think that community pod-based schooling is the future. You know, I'd love to live in a community where other people nearby and we would have our kids come together. That was taught by, uh, maybe one or two teachers. Um, and basically different people learn at different levels and different speeds for different things. You know, like when I graduated high school, I had the, you know, math and science ability of, uh, you know, like a borderline master's student in college. Um, but my English and grammar and writing skills were still like eighth grade, ninth grade. And that just, cause I I didn't really, I had terrible English teachers. I didn't really care about it. Right. Um, so, you know, I think creating that system where people can learn at their own pace for the things they need to learn at their own pace. Cause some people will read faster and understand more than everyone else. Some people will be able to do math in their head, like whiz. Some people will be able to remember and understand history, uh, and contextualize that better than other people. Right. Um, so I just think that creating systems where people can focus on and spend time doing what they need to be doing, I think is best. Um, if that makes sense. Well, you're hitting a couple of things. Maria Montessori talks about, you know, that, um, children, they'll, they'll hit the points, you know, they're at the stages of development where they're ready to learn something and really, you know, take that and run with it and support that. And, you know, the others will come and the other is, you know, really popular, um, was it's gaining popularity is integrated experiential learning mm. and so um you know integrated learning is for instance like the edible schoolyard out in berkeley if you're taking the garden as that um, topic you can integrate all the subjects around it so um you know there's uh and we have a school system in alabama that's all um program based all experiential all every mm. school so um, they, you know, they'll have agriculture store studies or, but everything is experiential. So there are some, you know, hands-on aspects. And so, you know, when you go back to, um, it's not just Maria Montessori, I mean, this gets into Ayurvedic medicine, but, you know, when you engage all your senses, yeah, then you're firing, your, your brain is completely, you know, you're, you're firing up that brain in a really good way. And that's why a lot of, you know, you'll see in a Montessori classroom, she's got everything is in order and the children are gauging all their senses. And so if you, you've had outdoor schooling or, you know, integrated experiential or, you know, both it's, um, then you're, uh, using a lot of your senses and, you know, there's been studies at Finland, the Finland studies, different Mm -hmm. school systems are doing these things that, you know, seem different to our traditional upbringing schooling. But there's, if if you start looking at what things people are doing, there's some amazing people taking initiatives on, on schooling. Yeah. I think, I think education is the future of a lot of things. Um, learning over education, right. Um, and I think, you know, I, th- I think there are some subjects that just aren't taught in school or aren't required. Like, you know, 
if, if you, if you were to ask me kind of, again, like, what is your action plan? Right. My kind of thinking is, is quite simple, right? It's, um, what, what would I want to do essentially to ensure that everyone's successful? I think that there are a couple of basic subjects that everyone should take. Um, basic finance is one of them. Ecology is another one understanding, you know, how the environment works and how weather works and how our choices impact that and how our food is grown and like how, you know, that we're all living in one massive system of, of growth and change, right? And understanding that there is a ripple effect to every, every choice, right? Um, I think philosophy is an incredibly important um, area of, of research. You know, at a very young age, if you can impart to, to, to kids the idea that you know, nothing is concrete and you should think critically about your thoughts and your actions, your community and and your ideas and your feelings. And you should always be true to those. And then design. I think that, you know, everyone at a base level should learn to understand and appreciate design. Because I think in in modern society, design has been kind of shoved under a rug and design in my mind is like one of the things that, you know, we we have to use to to kind of pull ourselves out of this. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, Ken Robinson, uh, I mentioned him a lot is, mm-hmm. you know, another book he has is finding your element. And, um, he talks a lot about this and, you know, the, some of the basic core things and, you know, he, he gave so many talks, he passed away I think, a couple of years ago, but, um, he, he gave so many talks that inspired schools to be opened. And, you yeah. know, they started looking at things from that creative perspective and, um, the core things of what, you know, kind of how, what do we need to live in this you know, or to, to move forward as society and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's really inspiring people because you know what everybody, we know this, not everybody agrees with it, but what the parents want is, and their skill set is not necessarily what their children come into this world, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to honor that, um, you know, respect that child to find that passion, that skill. And, uh, it may look very different from their business or their, um, you know, with the family lineages or et cetera, but, you know, to, to honor that and support that child and, and to, cause then what you're saying is you get into individualized education and, um, child centered education where you're honoring what, you know, that child is, is saying and speaking and showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that is um, that that is that is everything, right? Like, I think everything we've talked about, talking in circles uh, about the same thing, not in a bad way, but I just think that, like, you know, what it, I, I think I, I, a lot of parents, a lot of people, right? It's not what you want; it's what's best for the kid. And sometimes asking them like what they want to do, and if your two-year-old child like wants to run around and play in the mud and draw with crayons, then I think you should let them do that. Like, I I, I think that you know we spend a lot of time these days, you know, trying to convince parents that there's one way to raise a child and one way to do this. And this is the best way. And then like, look, there's so many ways to parent so many ways to, 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 you know, help a growing child understand. I think that one of the best things you can do is just ask, like, I mean, when's the last time even most adults were asked, like, you know, is this what you really want to be doing? You know, is this what you want to spend your time on? I don't think, I don't think people do, you know, I think about that every day. Um, because it allows me to kind of iterate quickly and, and move on. You know, I try to spend as little time as possible on things that don't matter to me, if that makes sense, you know? Oh yeah. Um, cause I think that's at the end of the day, that's what drives us forward. Right. Well, you're getting into kind of, you know, what Thoreau and the most men leave quiet lives of, de- uh, desolation is, 
is is asking yourself what do I want to be doing and having that courage of speaking up and you know and and making those changes where you know at least share it with somebody or have a hobby or a talent or something that supports you something right like all, all everyone needs is just something right something to kind of keep you moving something to keep you going something that keeps your brain and your head um you know just definitely forward right yeah forward momentum always um awesome so to kind of uh you know wrap up our conversation um i have a couple rapid fire questions that i want to run by you um and you can answer these in as few or many words uh as you'd like um kind of you know a moose bouche take it as you want um kind of choose your own journey um so the first is um is there a story that your like family or parents like to tell about you or like to tell about you when they were live? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I was five years old, I was walking up, you know, on a hill and I had cookies in my hand. And so I did not see the car that came. And so a car hit me head on and knocked me across the street all the way into a yard. Wow. And I landed, well, I landed actually on the sidewalk and the cookies were, uh, broken, you know, crumbled and everything, but I was okay. So, um, that was, you know, kind of a miracle story. And so that was one of my childhood, uh, yeah, identified, you know, identified stories. Wow. Um, do you have any long-term kind of effects from that or are you all good? No, I, good. That's awesome. Okay. Um, what else do we have? Um, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, what problem would you try and solve? Oh gosh. Gardens everywhere. Food everywhere. All over the planet. Hmm. I wonder how far I get with a billion. Cause like, I mean, so I, let me ask like based on your guy, your own research, and I was going to be incredibly based on ge- geographic, um, placement, but like, what is the average cost for, I guess, let's just say a family of four, to, to grow enough food to kind of supplant, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30% of the food they eat? You, you know, that is such a variable question. Um, that's uh, actually had that conversation with a farmer yesterday and we talked about that. And um, I think he said that if, you know, if you're going to, you know, your tractor supply Lowe's or Home Depot or ordering, you know, you're, he was saying that somebody told him it's like $1,500 to get it started kind of thing. But that's where we're looking from is, well, but if you are, you know, gathering your leaves and doing, again, this mulch type garden um, and, you know, getting seeds, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, he, he wants, he's, his mission is to show people that you can grow this type of garden anywhere and you can do it for a very low cost. So um, I think if you were, you know, going and buying those, you know, raised beds or just doing it traditionally, um, you know, certainly first garden I did, I had a landscaper help me and it was expensive. And so, but, you know, again, we're studying how to do it differently. So it's all variable. It's really that you can go out and, you know, find a space, um, you know, and whether it's your backyard or patio and, you know, people are doing, um, high yields, uh, small space gardening. So for, you know, a a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Also, like, I think 
another thing we mentioned earlier about compost is that, you know, most people are producing waste and I don't think people realize the value in a lot of the organic waste and not even, even non-organic, like, like, you know, paper towels are, most paper towels are compostable. Um, and, uh, there's just so much we can do. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I, one of our farmers gets really excited about like trash can composting and different, you know, we're trying to look at all the different ways you can do it, but you know, composting your own food and, like you said, your paper towels and some of your paper products, or you know, maybe using the cardboard that you've got for gardening. There's, you know, there's different people have different approaches. People have different values and beliefs about things. But there's, you know, the grass clippings, the leaves that fall in your, you know, in the fall, or you know, I, we 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 had creative storm, you know, brainstorm meetings, and well, where would where would we get the leaves? And you know, one of our teacher said, well, then I'll go to my church. And, you know, they hmm. donated all the leaves for a really big garden we created. So, awesome. um, yeah, so there's just, you know, it, again, that creative brainstorming, um, there's there's ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, you're, you, there's always some waste or someone somewhere that's willing to help, right? Um, and I think that, you know, we just need to do the best we can to keep pushing individuals and other people to, um, you know, share and not only share ideas, share resources, you know, because like, I think a good example is like the amount of times I see people haul away all these leaves and, and lawn debris and they pay money for someone to come and clear that up. It's like, you could put that in a back corner in your backyard. And, exactly. You know, and, and that, uh, <laughs> that's a, you just made a really good point is there's a, a big movement on wood chip gardening. Uh, yeah. there's a documentary that got really famous, just a simple guy talking. It was called back to Eden and gardening. And I've, talking to him a few times but you know he's he just had this awareness epiphany of just he's an arborist so he he got wood chips and so you know people are waking up to that but um you know people are cutting down branches and tree limbs and things and we put them by you know our street each week and you know it's just things that are being hauled away can be used you know for that compost and that mulch yeah i mean there's just so much you can do um is there if you could send a single push notification to like any given area, um, what would the push notification say and where would you send it to? Are you talking geographic area? Are yeah. Geogra geographic area. And then what would the message be? Uh, I think I changed from geographic to age and I would send mm. it to the teenagers and the young ones in their twenties and say, we've got this. Mm, I love that. Do you say that to your kids at all? I mean, cause you have a couple of yes. kids that age. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I For do. Sure. And, and, I, and I'm honest with them. I mean, we, we, you know, they, they'll look at me and, you know, cause I've been, we did organic gardening when they were young and, you know, we did it again at Montessori school and, but it's, um, you know, they hear me talk about it a lot, but I remind them we've got this, but it takes being real and supporting each other. Yeah. And also just, it, it, it takes everyone, you know, it's like, we, we need to keep going. Right. Um, we do the best we can to just push forward. Mm -hmm. So cool. Um, and then I'll get you out of here in this last one. Um, do you have, you know, I, I guess, assuming that, um, you know, your kids or some of them, or maybe none of them or one of them has any kids themselves. Like what, what do you, do you have any advice to impart to your, uh, grandchildren, your potential grandchildren's generation? Wow. Um, hmm. um, yeah, I would love to be 
with my grandchildren, children walking under the beautiful orchards that are in many places and in parks and the, the fruit and the nuts that have fallen and show them how beautiful and what a gift and, uh, you know, how grateful to have this food that's clean food that is everywhere and that we can walk, you know, again, the parks and the backyards and garden together. Amazing. Well, um, I really appreciate the time that uh, you took today and the conversation that we had, and I'm sure there'll be a part two, hopefully in person. Um, we just need to get you out on the West Coast, make it a bit easier. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you too. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I hopefully will be in Alabama soon. So maybe we can link up my, as I said, my, my God family, uh, my God parents live, uh, live in uh, Huntsville and Birmingham. Um, but, but before I kind of stop this for anyone else listening still, um, do you have anything to share or anything that people check out or plug or anything like that that you'd like to um, put out there? Well, for again, I'll reiterate, um, Power of One Woman is on Facebook and would love to get it in other arenas. I would say, you know, shout out to Darren Aline and uh, Zach Efron for the Down to Earth um, docuseries. That was my favorite and motivated me. I've watched it each season, you know, four, six times. Um, just, you know, check it out because it's so positive. It, it'll meet you wherever you are. It's got so many solutions and just inspiring stories and, you know, yeah, just watch it, rewatch it and keep going until you're acting on it. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Um, and, and I will, uh, get everyone on the outro after this, but again, uh, thank you, Betsy. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome. You Great talking to you, Rob. Yeah, of course. I love what you're day. doing and all your efforts and all your many endeavors you're doing. Thank you. Um, and we'll connect shortly. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Betsy Hosp. As always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss, and you can find Betsy online by simply Googling Betsy Hosp. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.